Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Our lesson today is inspired by a brother in Christ named Larry, whom we met on social media. Brother Larry and I got to chatting about various differences, one of which was his conviction that he should be a vegetarian. Our point of view is that Christians should eat whatever they want as long as they have a clear conscience and this behavior is not a stumbling block to others. Actually, Larry tended to agree. He wrote, what you eat will not give you entrance into heaven. We agree. But he added that in heaven, quote, there will be no meat of any kind eaten. God's original diet for man is, and always will be, plant-based. So why not train ourselves for it? End quote. He then quoted our scripture reading for today. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. After quoting these verses, Brother Larry concluded they are, quote, about what lengths are you willing to go to please God in maintaining good health and an abiding love for His law? End quote. But are these verses really about good health and the law? Brother Larry is falling into a common trap that many believers, including us, have fallen into before. It's the trap of taking a verse or two out of context and then reading into it a meaning that we want it to say, something that we would like it to say. Now, listeners of this show will know better than that. We have a tool for preventing that error, and it's called the SPACE method. SPACE is just an acronym that reminds us first to consider who the speaker is, SP, A for audience, and C for context of a Bible reading before attempting an explanation, the letter E. And hence, we got the word SPACE. So let's use the SPACE method today to examine the scripture. The speaker is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle who had planted the church to which he is writing. The audience is the church at Corinth. And what do we know about this church? Well, the Corinthians were people who should have been much more mature and living in righteous purity, but they had been backsliding because of the temptations of their sinful city. And that brings us to the context, and this is what we shared with Larry. The church at Corinth was like the church of Las Vegas. Think of it like living in Las Vegas and going to church near the Las Vegas Strip. What would you see in that church? You know, maybe you'd see people dressing in the flashy way of that city. Perhaps women would be dressing in the revealing clothing of that city. And what sort of sinful practices might members of the church fall into? You know, you can think of them gambling, 
drinking, and of course, sexual immorality. Well, that was exactly the situation in Corinth. Yeah, Jordan, for one thing, like Nevada, it was known for prostitution. Now, according to Pastor John MacArthur, and many of you might have heard of him before, the most prominent temple was to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And he's talking about the city of Corinth here. Some 1,000 prostitutes who were quote-unquote religious prostitutes lived and worked in Corinth and came down into the city in the evening to offer their services to male citizens and foreign visitors. Now, because Corinth was a prominent Greek city, the pagan religion of the Greeks was having a huge influence on the church there, meaning this, this early church that was started in the city of Corinth. That's why we have this letter written by Paul to the church at the, for the Corinthians. Now, many were converts from this paganism, this pagan religion, so that when they did backslide into their old practices, or were tempted to at least, they tended towards sins of a sexual nature. So how big of a problem were the sins of the flesh in Corinth? Paul gives us a little glimpse into that in chapter 5. He writes, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. And that's 1 Corinthians 5, 1-2. As for the scriptural context, let's look at the beginning of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, or meat in some translations, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Okay, Jordan, so the Corinthians here were quote-unquote infants in Christ, according to Paul. They were still fleshly to the point of walking like mere men, which basically means, man, if, if I was a non-believer or if I wasn't saved yet, I would see one of these Christians from Corinth, and I wouldn't even know that they had a change in their life. Right. Like, how could you even tell the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside them, right? And then finally, and what were the men of Corinth known for? Of course, it was their sexual immorality to the point that you made earlier, like Las Vegas. Right. So now that we've considered the speaker, audience, and context, the SPAC of the space method, we're better equipped to give an explanation, the E. In this light, it's clear that Paul is not talking about diet or health in the passage that we read today. Let's reread it, Andy, and look at it again. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple or sanctuary of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So Paul is talking about treating our body as a temple and not defiling it with the sins of the flesh, particularly, again, sexual sin based on the context. He wouldn't be talking about diet because, remember, he is the one who chastised Peter at Antioch for obsessing about such things. Yeah, I mean, Peter, if you, if you read those scriptures, especially in, in Acts, you'll see that Paul was upset with Peter because whenever he was around the Jews, they, the Jews still had their, even though some of them were Christian, they still had their traditions about kosher eating and so forth. And, and we know, according to the Bible, that when we pray 
over our food, you know, it's blessed in Jesus's name, at which point it, it makes it quote unquote kosher to eat, right? So to your point, Jordan, Paul wouldn't be talking about diet here. It was He wasn't talking about food. Wikipedia has a good summary of the setup for this. And this is what it says. As Gentiles began to convert from paganism to Christianity, a dispute arose among Christian leaders as to whether or not Gentiles needed to observe all the tenets of the law of Moses. In particular, it was debated whether Gentile converts needed to be circumcised or observe the Jewish dietary laws. So, as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was against these so-called Judaizers. But Peter himself had always struggled with this. So, recall God had to send Peter a special vision to get him to accept the conversion of the Gentile Cornelius, if you remember that, and you could study on that, and that's in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Yeah, Peter eventually did get on board, of course, with Gentile salvation, but he waffled on the issue of whether the Gentiles should observe Jewish law. This is what you were alert, uh, alluding to earlier, Andy. You know, Paul tells the rest of the story in Galatians 2, and it's interesting to look at a couple of verses to see how that story went down. Verse 11 says, when Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul writes. Prior to the coming of certain men from James, this is verse 12, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw, fearing the party of the circumcision, which is a longer way of saying the Judaizers. Verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of everyone, or all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from, from among the Gentiles. But nevertheless, he adds in verse 16, we know, and this is key, Man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. So, Paul was strongly against judging others for what they ate. You know, in Romans he writes, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. And that's Romans chapter 14, verses 2 to 4. But again, to remove all doubt that Paul's body as a temple metaphor was about sexual sin and not food or health, all you have to do is turn in your Bible to a few chapters after our scripture reading. And there you can read Paul's own specific explanation of what he meant. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at 15, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, th this is a key thing to do, by the way. If you ever come across a verse, even after you study it in context and use the space method, you, you'll, you can also use online tools to sort of discover where things repeat in the Bible, concepts repeat. And it just so happens in this particular case that Paul talks about the body as a temple metaphor in two different places. And the first case, it's not super clear. He doesn't say what he means by the defiling of the temple. In the second case, it's crystal clear. And that, that in itself, you know, if Brother Larry had, had done a search like that and, and read, read that scripture, he wouldn't have had this confusion. So, so here it is starting, sorry, in, in verse 15. Yeah, I just wanted to interject really quick before you read that. I just wanted to say, you know, I was kind of laughing in my mind, thinking, you know, people back then probably said something like, 
hey, we're Greek. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know? But obviously that's, you know, something that a lot of readers might not understand, thinking that they would misconstrue it as a diet restriction. Again, remember, these were Gentiles. They were used to eating crustaceous fish, which is obviously a no-no for right. Jews, right? It's like non-kosher to eat crab or lobster. I mean, they were fishermen. They ate whatever they can catch. Mm -hmm. So for them, it wasn't a big deal. So if we take this as Paul justifying and telling them that it's okay if you eat, you know, outside of the kosher realm and, you know, we're Christians now, I don't think that was a topic. So I, I think the big problem here, and as to your point, as you read these verses now for our listeners, we're going to be shocked what we hear. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is 1 Corinthians six fifteen, which, like I said, unlocks the whole thing. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be, verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, capital H, he, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then verse 18, it says, flee immorality, or in the NIV, flee sexual immorality, also fornication in the King James Version. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, or the one who practices immorality, sins against his own body. And then he says in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple? of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Verse 20, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Amen, Jordan. Okie doke. Now, questions for discussion. We'll start with one here. We tend to think of marriage as the moment when a man and a woman make a commitment to each other in front of a minister and before God. But what does Paul suggest is the actual moment of marriage in God's eyes? Yeah, and a related question would be that what does this also teach about premarital or extramarital sexual relationships? And I think, you know, when you study this, particularly this passage that we just read and you dwell on it, what it actually means is the when you when you join yourself, you know, and, and we don't have to get we don't have to get specific on that. Intimate. Yeah, right. Because there are maybe there are children listening, but when you join yourself to someone else, that is essentially the moment of marriage. And it, you know, I've often observed this is a very strange thing that some many men that I talk to they have this this dividing line. Like when I get to the pulpit, I mean it's almost a cliche in our culture, right? Like what happens in Vegas, like he alluded to earlier, stays in Vegas at the bachelor party. You can do all these crazy things because it's the day before, and then you get to that altar, and, and that's the dividing line. Now it's for real. You know, anything that happened before that is we forget about it and moving forward. And, and the truth of the matter is that's all artificial. That's all man-made. In the Old Testament days, you know, you, you took a young virgin into your tent and you guys were married. There wasn't, there wasn't even a, necessarily an officiate to stand there and say special words. Even in America, by the way, there's, there's a Christmas carol that said, you know, I, I, I can't remember the exact words right now, but the whole gist of the Christmas carol is when the minister comes to town, we're going to make our marriage, you know, legitimate because people didn't didn't do that back then. They just kind of like moved in together and had a ceremony and moved in together. They didn't have a minister around to pronounce special words. In God's eyes, the moment that you're joined is the moment that you're married. Amen. I agree. Okay. So Paul says, number two, that we are a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit and that we are not our own. How does this support the doctrine of assurance and contradict the false teaching? 
that a believer can lose his or her salvation? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question goes back to the key words, Holy Spirit. And, and as we've discussed in previous lessons, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit or temples of the Holy Spirit. So we can no more lose our salvation than we can undo the will of God because, because God is living within us. And, you know, and a follow-up question, Andy, would be, in our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 3.17, Paul writes, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Doesn't this imply that a sin like adultery can send someone to hell? And that's, of course, I say that facetiously to see um, what you will say. Yeah, I mean, I th- it will. But let's look at the word here. The word would be Gehenna, which is different from the lake of fire. You know, if anybody who is a student of the Bible will know to make sure that they go to the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic to carefully look at words like this, especially when we're talking about judgment. So yes, in the English language, the King James, we have one word for judgment, one one word for, you know, the punishment in judgment for a bad person, if you will, and that's the word hell, which if you do a little study, you'll find out that was a, you know, Germanic, Anglo-Saxon word that was probably not even, didn't come into existence until like maybe seven or 800 years after the Bible was put together. So if we go back and you, to answer your question, yes, absolutely, this will lead a Christian to end up in Gehenna, not to be confused to where a lost man will end up who never accepted Jesus as their Savior, which will eventually be the lake of fire where Satan will be and he will be burning for, for all eternity. Yeah, it's a key difference. So when he says, you know, if any man destroys a temple of God, God will destroy him, what exactly is he driving at there? At the Bema seat, all Christians, after the rapture, which is all Christians, those first who are dead in Christ, and then we who are alive, will be joined together. We will follow Jesus Christ to the Bema seat, which is somewhere in the third heaven, at which place he will judge us based on our works. And you could see that in the early parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. Please do so. If you have never read it, please study it. Memorize it if you have to, because it's amazing. And it tells us there that there's basically two kinds of works, right? There's works from the flesh or evil or works from the Spirit. And Paul is teaching us to, to follow the Spirit and, and live a life that's righteous and holy because there's great reward. And those who do not have any spiritual works in their lives will suffer loss. And we also know when we study Scripture, we find out that there's going to be Christians who even apostate. And this here would be an example of apostasy. If somebody is, is you know, bonding themselves to prostitutes over and over again as a Christian, they're practicing this sin, and we know that someone like that will not be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom, and they will suffer loss. So yes, there's going to be a huge timeout, a spiritual punishment, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, they will be bound hand and foot. We don't know all the details of what it's going to be like, but we do know it's not going to be good. And yes, Christians who are bad will get punished And eventually, we read in Scripture, after the thousand-year millennial kingdom is over, they will be permitted to be let out, and at which point we see in Scripture in Revelation chapter 21 that God the Father will wipe every tear. So you could say that that thousand-year imprisonment, that spiritual imprisonment, will be kind of like a a very big timeout, like a prison sentence, if you will, for the people to learn their lesson. Yeah, so long story short, don't read destruction or destroy as destruction forever in a lake of fire, because that's not what it means. Obviously, once saved, always saved. You cannot be destroyed in that sense if you're a believer. Amen. Uh, and the third thing we have here is Paul ends 1 Corinthians 6.20 with these words, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Andy, what's the milk meaning of that verse and also the meat meaning? 
Yeah, so to be quick, any scripture in the Bible that speaks of the first coming of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, you know, the cross, the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, and so on, represents the milk. It's the milk meaning. It's the, it's the first thing we're fed when we believe in Jesus Christ. The meat meaning, which is a more mature teaching, is about the second coming of Christ. And it's what we were talking about right now. It's about now that we're Christians, live righteously, live holy, because when Jesus Christ comes back, he's looking for a bride that is without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, which requires works. It requires righteous, a righteous lifestyle. And that is the difference. So anything in the Bible that talks about the first coming of Christ is milk. And anything that pertains to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is the meat. Yeah, so you can read that verse on two levels. You've been bought with the price is the first coming, the milk, right? Glorify God in your body is works. So that's the, that's the second um, meaning of it. So you can, re- you can read the meat into that as well. Okay, so in terms of a recap here, we thank Brother Larry for the exchange on social media and for the inspiration for today's lesson. While he used today's scriptures incorrectly, he is not alone in his misunderstanding. Many Christians take the idea that your body is a temple and they use it to teach against eating, smoking, drinking, drugs, and so on. And in truth, you know, we are free in Christ and that gives us a lot of latitude. But while there is truth in the idea that we don't want to pollute our temple with illicit substances and other poisons, that's not exactly what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us the body as a temple metaphor. Yeah, Paul was specifically concerned with sexual immorality here. It was a big problem in Corinth and a big problem in the world today. The world teaches that casual sex is normal and healthy, but the Bible teaches that when a believer engages in casual sex, he or she is defiling the very temple of the Holy Spirit. That is not to say you can lose your salvation for doing so, as we saw today, as we read today. Paul's teaching supports the doctrine of assurance, but such behavior is certainly disqualifying And believers who persist in such behavior will surely not enter the millennial kingdom, and they will lose their reward. They'll forfeit their reward. Brother Larry did say something with which we strongly agree. He wrote, quote, The body you have now is not your own. It belongs to God. Yes, that's the truth of the matter, and that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.